guest who is a mentor of mine and someone I'm really excited for you guys to get to know, Leith Kalaf. Thank you very much. It's uh, very exciting to be here. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you uh, you pulled the trigger and uh, brought me in. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, so uh, Leith does a number of different things. I'll never be able to get it all in in, in one quick episode, but uh, I got to know Leith through a mutual friend and I was paid the compliment before I even knew this gentleman of, hey, you remind me of my friend Laith. And now as I've got to know Laith, I take that as one of the best compliments I've received. So uh, Laith is here in Columbus, Ohio, but started uh, born in Kuwait, Yep. right? Went to Jordan at a young age mm-hmm. and then came to Ashland, Ohio at 13. Home of the arrows. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then from there went to Ohio State. And uh, double major, if I understand? Correct. Double major. Finished in three years. I was a bouncer at the Varsity Club. Uh, I was a resident advisor, uh, and I rode crew for Ohio State. Wow. So I had a full schedule, and um, and was I'm always a Buckeye. I love being a Buckeye. Awesome. So uh, as you can tell, double degree, three years, plus everything else on his dance card. So you know he's not shy uh, from hard work. And then from there, uh, after you graduated, where did work take you? So I uh, had an opportunity to work overseas for a central bank consulting group. So I worked in Eastern Europe and the Mediterranean region. And uh, I was in places that are in the news now, like Syria and Yemen, and pretty pretty crazy places that are, that are um, pretty dangerous now, but were still dangerous back then. And uh, I decided to come back and work with individuals instead of central banks and governments. And so I uh, joined uh, the financial industry back in March of 2000. So I'm coming up on my 20-year anniversary. Awesome. And uh, in that time frame, you also spent some time working in the World Trade Center, right? I did. I did. I worked in the World Trade Center uh, for a brief period, and I left in January of 2001. Wow. Awesome. So uh, Lath has been kind of all over the place, but as a Buckeye, we're so proud to have him back. And you know, some of the things that uh, Lath's involved in, and, and please add to whatever I forget here, sure. but uh, one of my favorite uh, groups here in town is called Columbus Cars and Coffee, and they put on these awesome car shows where people will bring out the uh, beauty that doesn't see the pavement that often for the rest of us to be able to gawk at. Uh, Columbus Fashion Week is a big thing here, especially with how many retail companies are based out of Columbus. Um, the Career Closet at Ohio State. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, the Columbus Cars and Coffee, I'm an attendee, and Paul Milligan does a great job putting that together. Um, I sponsor the Arthritis Foundation's uh, Exotics on Park, and uh, that's a great event. Uh, the Career Closet uh, has a little bit of a background on why I'm so passionate about it. Uh, back when I first interviewed for my job, I was dressed in very modest clothes, and they were the best that I had. And I remember being in the lobby, sitting around with the other attendees or the other interviewees, and they were decked out. I mean, these kids were just decked out. And I just felt like I didn't, didn't deserve to be there just because of what I wore. And uh, since that moment, that really um, made me realize how much clothes matter and how you feel and how you present and project yourself. 
uh, thankfully, I was able to hustle and 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 actually cold called the uh, hiring manager until he finally answered the phone and said, "What do you want?" And I, I told him, I said, "I wanted a job." And so uh, uh, he said, "Fine, show up tomorrow at two o'clock. You got the job." And and that's a testament to hustle. But at the same time, uh, presenting yourself and kind of being that, um, I guess the uh, the. That people say you can't judge a book by the cover, but and a lot of times it's true. And so what I do and what our group at Ohio State does uh, is that we collect professional clothing for both men and women. And we uh, have a career closet day. Uh, all the clothes are free. And I personally work that day to help students uh, match their clothes and give them advice. And I put inspirational quotes in, in pockets for them to find. And even if I know where the clothes came from, I would actually kind of give them a preview. For example, the president of so-and-so company, that's their suit you're wearing. And I mean, they're a baller. And so are you going to be. Wow. So that to me, I'm very passionate of fixing the wrongs that I went through in my life. And uh, to me, that, that helps put those experiences in a positive light versus them affecting me in a negative way. Sure. If that makes sense. Totally. And so for those of you watching the live stream, you can see how sharply dressed this man <laughs> is. I got to give a shout out to Lane Driven uh, with Threadwell. He, he, he does a great job putting together uh, a really nice, um, I guess, catalog of clothes that he would recommend. And, and my wife, Beth, uh, they, they collaborate and find pretty good outfits for me to wear. So uh, I'm blessed. I really am. Yeah, Threadwell Clothiers uh, LLC, I think, on Instagram, yeah. you can find mm-hmm. them. So, um, you know, that, that's one of the first things that I noticed. So w- when I got connected with Lathe, we had a, a phone call. And then from there, in today's world, you can do a little bit of background on, you know, social media. And it's easy for people to, to give you the version of themselves they want you to see on social media. Mm-hmm. But it's also pretty quick to see what reoccurring themes are. And, you know, for a young entrepreneur like myself, I, I just saw... Uh, the hard work behind the photos, right? Mm -hmm. Getting up at 4 a.m. to go, you know, still train in the morning and get your sweat on before you punch the clock, you know, doing two-a-days as, you know, somebody who's not a 22-year-old playing sports at Ohio State, right? right? So, I mean, that's that's awesome to see. But I think it translates into how you're able to do so many things in your life. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, this episode is called The Overnight Success, Lath, you have really just hit the scene in Columbus here in the last few years with a lot of really prestigious awards, a lot of attention. So what does an overnight success mean to you? Um, right off the bat, I don't think that uh, that really exists as, as, as a, a literally, but I, I think there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes and eventually that work starts to speak for itself. Um, to your point, nothing was handed to me. When I came here, when, I, when we came from overseas, uh, and we came during war conditions during the first Gulf War to where we lived in the basement, and uh, and my family didn't have any connections, and I literally started from the ground up. That being said, it was, it was a matter of consistency, a matter of drive, but also the people that I started surrounding myself with that really helped me get to the next level of where I wanted to be, because it was... It was um, it was born out of a culture that I started to create and the people that I started surrounding myself with started believing in if they haven't believed in already. And collectively as a group, we started attacking the world as a team and uh, helping each other out. And that's been probably the biggest part of uh, the recipe of success. 
going to social media, I think, and I and I'm to a degree at fault at this. A lot of times in social media, we show the end result. I did this. I achieved that. Whatever. And I'm guilty of this. I've really never been the type of person that talks about what I had to do to get there. And so people would assume, oh, it was either handed or it was easy or sure. uh, it was an overnight success. But um, I don't like to complain. That's, And I don't like to surround myself with anybody that does. And so uh, when I do wake up at 4 a.m. and I'm barely able to get out of bed, but I drag myself out and I do go train with the martial arts guys because they're expecting me to be there and we hold each other accountable, I'm starting to do a better job showing people that, and especially my students that I try to mentor and the people that follow me on Instagram, this is what it takes to get the things that, that I mentioned on, on Facebook or Instagram, the yeah. words and whatever. Well, and I think it's brilliant too, because you know somebody that comes to mind is Jocko Willink, and he oh, yeah. takes a picture of his watch every morning when he gets up to train. And it's not to say, hey, I'm better than you, I'm getting up earlier. I think it's an accountability thing. Right. So when I see your post at 4.15 in the morning sitting in front of the gym, sometimes before the lights are even on, right. I think it's become, if anything, something to say, hey, I need to show my community that I'm still committed to this. This Absolutely. isn't for show. I, I'm holding myself accountable with this picture. Right. I, it's important for me to walk the walk. Um, so when I say that I do wake up at 4.15 or whatever, I want to prove it. And I'm not necessarily proving it to, to the people. I'm proving it to myself. Mm -hmm. It's kind of figuring out a way to sabotage the the um, the slacker in every one of us. Sure. Because uh, I, I like I like what you have here. You know, this is the first time I'm, I'm in your office, and I really like this. Comfort is a slow death, and that is absolutely true. Uh, and, and being able to put in an infrastructure whether it's people, whether it's uh, Instagram uh, accountability, but some kind of infrastructure that forces you to get to the next level. So, Leith, let me ask you this. To 99% of the world, they look at you and you know, they say, wow, you're so successful. What keeps you driven to continue to, to moving forward and growing and, and, and moving higher? Um, I think my background, growing up very poor, um, made fun of because of the clothes that I wore. They were not the latest fashion. They had holes in them because before holes were popular. Um, <laughs> I mean, literally, when we first came here, I'll, I'll never forget, we went to, uh, to a, I think it was, I forget what store it was, but I ended up, my mom bought like four flannel shirts, and they were these on sale. They were super bright yellow and orange and whatever. And they were super cheap, and that's pretty much what I wore to school every day. And I was made fun of wearing that every single day. Um, and just having that feeling that never go, really goes away motivates you to make sure that never happens again to, to me or my family, uh, my wife and I. So that's that motivation can either make you break or can propel you to galvanize your work ethic. Yeah. And, and my grandfather was a big part of that. My grandfather, Omar, in Ashland, I mean, there was, he was, he brought us up in a very military, disciplined, you go after it type of thing, which I'm, I, I, I absolutely love. And there's a saying, and I, and I just mentioned this to somebody earlier, you prepare the child for the road and not the road for the child. And there, there's a lot of truth to that. 
No, that, that's a really powerful statement. I, I feel like it's so easy, especially as a father, you, you want to try to smooth that road for your child. You want to try to take out some of those speed bumps. But at the end of the day, that's that's probably where the greatest growth and lessons come from mm-hmm. is putting them in a, a setting where they can learn from these experiences in a way that's not going to be completely detrimental to their growth. Right. So uh, th- that kind of leads me in. I wanted to bring up your, your grandfather, Omar. So for all intents and purposes, my understanding is they owned a market. So you spent yep. some time kind of working in the market with your grandfather. Uh, he had a love for cars too. So that yeah. helped influence that. So, so talk about that a little bit growing up in Ashland. Sure. So Cleveland Avenue Market, my grandfather and uh, my grandfather, grandmother uh, built back in the 70s. And so when we came um, to Ashland back in 1990, uh, I worked, um, and my mom at the time was the manager. She became the manager, um, and I just just worked. Uh, and uh, and I to this day, my mom paid me 10 cents an hour. No joke. <laughs> I, I still tease her today that I, I'm threatening to sue her for back wages, but uh, 10 cents an hour just to make me value uh, hard work and, and the value of money. And not only that, but she taxed me, quote unquote, 50% of what I made and put it into a savings account. Cool. So um, so uh, it, it, I think what I loved about working in, in the um, grocery store is just seeing how my grandfather interacted with his customers. Everybody loved him, and he really loved everybody. He treated them like family, and that resonates with me even to today because I try to replicate how he had the, the very, very special relationship that he had with his customers and what I have with my, with my clients and what I do. Um, and for me, that's, that, if somebody were to say what makes, what makes it all worthwhile is truly making a difference in other people's lives and, and, and uh, making, and this sounds really generic, but making the world a better place in, in the way that you're able to. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, you got to see the synergies here, right? From the stories you've mentioned growing up where obviously hard work was instilled at an early age, discipline, those things are still apparent in your life today. The experience you had with not feeling confident with your clothing, even though it was the best your family could do at the time, and what you're doing with the career closet. Yeah. The customer service you learned from your grandfather to how you interact with everyone yeah. who interacts with you from a pro- professional or personal basis sure. today, right? So, you know, for, for somebody who didn't necessarily have that great structure or great upbringing to teach them some of those lessons, what would be uh, some advice you might give to somebody like that? So... Um, the most important thing is to create some kind of a system that resonates with you. Every every process starts to build synergy when it becomes a system, versus just swinging it, uh, winging it every morning when you wake up. The, the, for me, I created a four step process. The first part is creating unrealistic goals, goals that are so big you have to grow into the person that can achieve them. Uh, the second part is building a plan and figuring out what kind of habits you have to. Um, incorporate in your life and to do every single day that accumulate into a, um, a success, right? That accumulates into the goals that you had set and um, treat yourself like a business. What is it that you need to invest in yourself? How can you develop into a better person, um, a smarter person or, or whatever it is that you're trying to do? The third part, and this is critical, is who's on your bus, which is a saying from Coach K and Duke. I had an opportunity to talk to him years ago, and he said the most important thing is to surround yourself with winners. And I couldn't be more uh, emphatic 
in, if I were to say there's one part that makes uh, a huge difference in somebody's life and personal culture, it's figuring out what kind of culture you want to have and then surround yourself with the people that share the same feelings. And the, the last part is just like companies have CEOs, they also have boards that hold them accountable and give them advice. And for me, I, I build up uh, as well with people that I respect, that I look forward to getting uh, feedback from, but also that hold me accountable because it's so easy for all of us to brush um, great ideas under the rug because they're too hard. Yeah. So, you know, I, there's one thing you told me, which I'll get to in a second, but the reoccurring theme there for me listening is doesn't matter if your upbringing was something that instilled that discipline, hard work, but you can change the people around you at any stage in your life. If you are newly retired, if you're starting a new business, if you're in high school, at any point you can surround yourself with the people you want to surround yourself with. Now, if you're in a setting where this is me in our relationship, as I got to know you, I said, I want to spend more time with late. So I have to figure out ways to add value, create some type of magnetic ability to say, well, to make Lath want to spend time with me, right? To learn back and forth. So if you're that person, you might say, hey, I want to spend time with these really hard to reach people or these really influential people or these people that are just impossible to get a hold of, but there's still ways to try to add value or try to do something. Just like when you got your first job, you kept calling the guy who didn't want to give you a job until he finally said, okay, let's do this right? So you can change that environment around you and, and just stay persistent to it. And then one of the most powerful things you've told me since uh, we've got to know each other is, like you said, treat yourself as a business. But you said to me, treat yourself like a stock. Right. Would you buy your own stock right yeah. now? And I remember when you told me that a few months ago, I was doing my year-end goals for 2019. And I just thought, I said, wow, like, I don't know if I would buy my stock right now. I don't feel as confident. I could be doing so much more and then that changed my mindset to say, yes, absolutely, that's a screaming buy because the growth is still there. Right. It's something where you know, we have it tapped, that full potential. That's something we can continue to go into. And, and say you're not a money person, which most of our listeners are, are focused on finance and entrepreneurship, look at it as, would somebody read your book right now? The story of your life up until this point, and if it doesn't seem that interesting or that powerful, or there's not a lot of lessons in there, you still have today and you still have tomorrow to, to work on that. So I, I think that's really good advice. It's never too late to reinvent yourself, even if you are already successful. I mean, for me, everybody has a definition of what success is. Uh, and I constantly remind myself that, I, and that I've had successes, but, but I wouldn't deem myself as successful, right? There's a difference between that pers mental perspective. So having successes means that they've come and they've gone and they were good. Sure. But that doesn't mean that I always have home runs that are continuous. Sure. Right. And so having that mindset that, you know, and I love Jay-Z's song, on to the next one, on to the next one, because, uh, you know, you finish the one successful venture and then you look at the other one with the same critical eyes or the same uh, determination as the one that you just finished and how you started with that. Sure. But if you start feeling like I got this, I'm successful, whatever, a lot of times, and I'm, you know, you might find yourself getting lazy or, or just not treating things as, um, as you would have when you were first starting and you were hungry. Yeah. 
you get humbled real quick, I think, when you think like that. And, and a lot of times, too, you know, you had a good saying as well as, as things are constantly evolving. So your game plan that might have worked for several projects up until that point, you know, as the winds pick up, as you mentioned, some people are still continuing to build walls. Others will build windmills. Windmills, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, you know, just like you said, you, you got to continue to evolve. And, and, and tell me if this resonates with you. So, so growing up poor, you know, a lot of times the focus is on money. Right. Success is equivalent to money. Mm-hmm. I need to make money to feel successful. I need to make money to be happy. And when you get to a stage in your life where you are making money, especially to in, rel- in relation to how you grew up, mm-hmm. what was the lesson there for you? I think the biggest um, misconception about money is that it's this divine, untouchable, mystical type of thing. And in reality, it's just a tool. Like literally, it's just a tool that allows you to either create more time or to get things you know, accomplished or whatever the case may be. You're, you're trading something for that tool, whether it's your sweat equity or whether it's, I don't know, um, consulting or investments or whatever to that tool. And once you remove the aura of money and see it for what it really is, you start to understand how to use it versus it using you. Sure. And to where it's not, it's, it's the, it's not, a, it stops being, I want to have X amount of dollars. It becomes, I want to have this accomplished in my life. Yeah. And the highest level of success, in my opinion, is that when you start realizing that financial independence is great and it, it's good for you, but also the success of the people around you, whether it's your family, whether it's your, um, whether it's your community and making your, because the way I look at it is Columbus is my home. Collectively, Columbus is my home. And to a degree, Ashland is too. And so the more I can do to improve my home, just like I would in the actual physical building that I live in, the the more successful I am in making a difference. And I really feel good about that. That yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. So, so to me, the transcendence there is when you grow up needing, you know, and money's tight, you're constantly thinking of, man, if I had another 50 bucks, I could... Right buy this toy. If I had another thousand dollars, I could afford this rent, you know, and you slowly think of how that will impact your own personal life until you transcend into how can I use this to improve others around me? Because I have enough. I, I, I no longer need money to feel fulfilled or happy. I think the thought process changes from, I wish I had another 50 bucks to, I need to do X. Mm. So once you start thinking, how do I do X versus I wish I could, the mindset becomes I'm empowered to, to do something. Sure. And you just walk, um, you just walk in life with a, with a different confidence level when you realize that your potential and all these things that you want to do and have lie within you. You just need to become that person that can be it. And I'm not saying necessarily physically in athletics, yes, but mentally the way you believe that you can. Because once you believe that you can, and for me, the biggest impediment for me in being successful was uh, a lot of times I didn't believe I was smart enough, good enough uh, to achieve the things that I have right now. And then once you see the people that have achieved them and you're like, they're not much smarter if at all, or better at anything, you start to realize that you need to give yourself more credit because a lot of very successful people are successful just because they took that shot and believed in themselves. So, so that's so powerful what you just said. I remember 
when I started my first business, which was a gym, and we talk about it on the podcast from time to time, I remember thinking anyone else who owned a gym was some kind of all-star human being, right? They either came from this successful family that gave them the money to do it. They were just, you know, head of their class, had their MBA. They just really had their stuff together. And I kept thinking I was inadequate, right? Until I took that leap and got to know a lot of these people who became my peers now and realized they were just people who went for it. And not everyone is successful, but it gave me so much confidence to think I don't have to be a special case. I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. And the sweat equity is so important there. But really, like you said, that confidence of saying like, hey, even if this isn't the right idea. So for all intents and purposes, the gym was not this groundbreaking moneymaker. But I'm forever grateful that it gave me the confidence to say I can bet on myself. Right. I know, like you said, if I need to make that extra $100 to put food on the table for my family, I'm, I'm confident in betting on myself. Right. I think that's huge for anybody listening. I, I totally agree with you. And it's and it, it, this conversation and this part of the the podcast, it all revolves around what what lies in between your ears, your brain. Sure, you know, and and once you get that right, and the biggest challenges start from from your mind and how you start, you think about yourself and your capabilities. And once you're able to get your head straight, then things start flowing. Sure. So um, that to me is the the big, and and you know, even when you are successful, you have to constantly surround yourself with the people that can even during down days that can lift you up when you're not feeling great about yourself. I mean, even to this day for me personally, just the other day, I, I wasn't feeling great about um, where I was. And, and I, I shot a, a text to my support group, you know, which is my board. I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm not feeling very good. Um, mind if I stop by and, um, and one of my, one of my good friends who's also on my board, Aaron Gennetti, um, he's like, come on in and and let's get this tackled. So no joke, for two hours we sat there and we just talked and he wrote stuff down and he made he asked questions. And by the time I was done, I mean, I felt so much better about life and myself. And, and you need those people that can lend you their faith when yours is failing sure. and vice versa. Yeah. Um, the, the analogy I like to use is, is um, you ever been to a gym and uh, you see a person bench press weight that's way too, way too heavy for them? It, it looks ridiculous. They're like grunting and it's about to fall back down on their neck, etc. I mean, it's very, very simple to have asked for a spotter, right? Sure. Very simple. And it's very responsible. And I feel like the analogy is, is very, uh, very applicable to life because a lot of times there are, there are some weights that we can't lift. And that's when we need, we need to ask for a spotter. Yeah. We need to ask for people. I'm like, hey, check up on me because I'm not feeling good. Or um, I, need to, I need to pick your brain. I just need to vent or whatever. Yeah. Just like it's responsible in weightlifting and being that spotter, you want to set up your spotters before the storm comes. And the storm will come. So the more prepared, more prepared you are for that storm, the better you're going to weather that storm and the more you'll uh, evolve from it and get stronger from it. And, and kudos to you. I mean, I think there's a big lesson in there as well with just being able to, to share those vulnerabilities. So many people in our culture, especially as men, we're mm-hmm. raised to say, no, you got to be tough. Right. You don't show weakness, especially mm-hmm. in sport, athletics, all right. these things. But at the end of the day, we're all human beings. I, I think women do a great job of this. They kind of have their inner circles of girlfriends and they, they have their support group and men have a tougher time doing that. 
But men, women, wherever you're at, especially if you're starting a business or you're in the early stages of your business, you need people like that. Mm -hmm. And you, you can't go to your employees. You can't go to necessarily your team because that doesn't breed trust. It doesn't breed uh, confidence in the future of the company. But being able to have peers who get it, and a lot of times if it's people outside of your industry, but they get what it's like to carry that burden or to try to work hard toward a goal or to try to run a business and sharing that, I mean, kudos to you because a lot of people just really try to tough that you know road themselves. And having that feedback's instrumental. Yeah, and that's uh, that's why it's important for me to mention these examples in every medium I can because, you know, uh, I mean, truthfully, when I was in college, I battled depression. Um, I mean, I, I was a very high-achieving um, person, but I was just miserable inside. And once I figured out that um, having that support network and people that would um, – that I could lean on and, and to vent to, et cetera, because you're right. Growing up, it was like, you just didn't show weakness. You just didn't, you know, you just toughed it out and that might work for some people, but it didn't work for me. And just having that group of, of very close people, um, that I could vent to, or I can show vulnerability towards, um, really made a difference, uh, in my life and my development. And it's okay to be vulnerable in front of those people. For sure. And, you know, especially having that in your life, like you said, if you don't have that group, maybe you sit in that funk for even longer, right. which affects your ability to grow, your ability to do your job to the best of your abilities, your ability to be a partner to your wife right. to the best of your abilities. Mm -hmm. Or you can get through that faster because we're all going to have those points. Yep. Um, so a couple other things. What would be advice for you to give somebody who's looking to create wealth but doesn't have anything at their disposal right now. They don't have very much money in the bank. They're working a, a, you know, a pretty typical job and, you know, they don't have the resources to necessarily go build something. I think, um, the first part is figure out if there's a way you could invest in yourself to, um, get a higher income, but also look at potential doing things outside of, uh, your current job. I'm a firm believer in having, um, uh, reoccurring income that you don't necessarily have to be involved in. So passive income. Uh, but, uh, so I'll give you an example. Um, when I was at, at Ohio state, um, I worked as a resident advisor. I wrote crew for Ohio state, but I also, the resident advisor thing paid for my, for my room and board. I wrote, uh, or I, um, worked at Abercrombie and Fitch at the city center and that, that gave, got me extra income. And then the, being a bouncer at the varsity club, that got me extra income. And so when I worked, uh, my first main job, my real job um, here in the United States, I actually cleaned cars. Like literally I was, I used to cold call during the day and had a relatively in theory prestigious title, but in the evening and on the weekends, I detailed cars, like no joke. I mean, I detailed my partner's car and um, so I would take it for the weekend and I'll clean it and polish it and whatever. And on Monday I would drop it off. I mean, for me, it was work for me. It was figuring out how to pay, pay bills. Yeah. There's no shame in work. I mean, once you start feeling like you're above it, that's when it starts biting you. Sure. So, so in terms of creating wealth, the most important thing is consistency that I can't emphasize that enough. If you're able to save or invest or whatever X amount of dollars, I, I tell everybody, if you do that, 
just be consistent. I, I much rather somebody save or invest or whatever, uh, a lower amount, but do it consistently than to do this one time lump sum, uh, because it becomes part of your DNA when you do it consistently, it becomes a habit. Yep. There's a really good book. It's called The Automatic Millionaire. And the whole objective uh, is uh, about creating the financial infrastructure. And again, uh, for per compliance, I'm not going to talk about investments or anything, but uh, it just talks about the creating the financial infrastructure, setting up automatic things, auto de- deposits, 401k, whatever, um, to where you you're automatically destined to become a millionaire versus if we were to do it ourselves manually every month or whatever, it's likely that it's not going to happen. Sure. And I think that translates to so many aspects of life in the gym, creating habits, getting up earlier, eating healthier. The the more you do it, the more it just becomes part of your DNA. As you said, it's no longer this stretch goal of, oh man, I really got to get a salad on Friday because I've really blown out my diet Monday through Thursday. Or man, it's December. I got to try to max out my 401k, but that's going to be considerably more money than if I would have done it every single month going up to this. I think the, the, um, the most powerful question you can ask is how, like if you see, let's say, if you see an exotic car and that's what your goal, your question shouldn't be if I can do it or if I can't, or I wish I could, it's how do I do it? Yeah. And if you're able to talk to the person and that's one of the things I I did when I was younger is I was constantly asking people, how did you do it? What did you do? How'd you do it? What did you do? So when I saw something, I wasn't, um, I wasn't envious. I was curious. Um, and I think once you remove the envy and the negative feeling behind something you're trying to achieve, the more realistic and attainable it becomes. But if you have a negative feeling toward it, it's like, oh man, this person's got a car. It must be nice. Then you're never going to get it For because sure. you just have that mental block all of a sudden that it's not achievable in your, in your world versus saying, wow, it's so nice. How did this person do it? Yep. And you ask that person or, you know, if you're not able to get to these high level people that you wish you could, I'm sure they have a book. I'm sure they have a website. I'm sure they have a podcast, whatever. It doesn't have to be in person. Yeah. And and that's one thing I want to highlight about you is, you know, somebody who I see as a, a mentor and who's very successful, you still have a student's mentality in a lot of aspects of your life. You know, most people want to be an expert. And I remember when I first became a personal trainer, I felt so self-conscious that I felt like I had to prove to everyone how much I knew. And shortly thereafter, one of the best trainers that I looked up to, I saw him speak at a conference um, and he mentioned how the best trainers are kind of thieves where they just take a little bit from everybody, but they're students, they're learning from their peers, they're learning from people who they consider the experts in all these areas. And in all intents and purposes at that conference, he was the expert. Right. So I think always being a student and trying to learn is only going to help you, your community, anyone around you. Right. And I, I really appreciate that about you. There's a saying that I really like, and I mention it to my students when I give lectures at Ohio State, uh, but reading is the human equivalent of a software update. Hmm. I mean, think about I mean, we're constantly getting software updates every time we go open up an app. It's like, oh, update software. It's like, all right, perfect. And it becomes the latest and greatest version of that software. And we have to do that ourselves with our knowledge base because whether it's, I'm not going to mention any industries, but any industry constantly changes. And so if you're not 
preparing yourself to constantly grow and evolve and, and be the best at what you do, you're going to be, uh, I guess, not very good very quick. I love that. So my next question was going to be, what is your advice for somebody looking to grow existing wealth? But is it the same as somebody coming from nothing, continuing to invest in yourself and continuing to do software updates? I, I mean, that's uh, there's different channels to do it. Um, and uh, the most important thing is probably again, surrounding yourself with people that are at that next level that you're trying to get to and figuring out what it is that they do and figure out how that might apply to your life and whether it's worth it. Because at the end of the day, if you see challenges as something that you, you choose to address or choose to take on, you feel more empowered um, with your life. And it's actually a book, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, uh, but he said that he said, if, if you decide in your head that you choose these struggles, you're much better off because if you feel like the struggles are being imposed on you, you'll feel like a victim. Sure. So it's just a mindset shift. And, and I think that goes back from the, the wish to how, right? It's right. no longer what's happening to me or, or this blessing was bestowed on the person right. with the Ferrari, not me. It's how can I make that happen? Right. How can I improve my situation? Sure. How can I grow from this? So uh, as we're getting toward the tail end of the podcast here, we'll uh, ask a few questions quickly here. But what is one routine or ritual that's crucial to your daily success? I think mornings for me set the tone for the rest of the day. And it's very easy to get it right. And I'll, I'll explain. How many times have, have you collectively, the people that are listening, wake up and just can't find their keys? And, you know, the their suit is not, you know, as wrinkled or they can't find their shoe or whatever it is. And, and that, that friction and that um, feeling like you're behind translates to the rest of the day versus feeling like you're ahead. So what I do, and this is something that helps me every morning, but on the weekend, I polish my shoes and I uh, make sure I line up all my suits, shirts, ties, and the, and the matching pocket inside of the, uh, the inside pocket of the of the suit and I make sure everything's pressed. And if it, you know, if, if not, I take it out of rotation. And so that way, when I wake up in the morning, it's everything's laid out for a successful morning. I wake up, my coffee's already made because I had spent the time to have it set up the, the previous day. My outfit is already set up. I'm not looking for anything. So literally it takes me 15 to 20 minutes to get ready. And I'm just out the door because everything clicked and that whole concept of and feeling of everything clicked translates to the rest of the day it just builds momentum with the rest of the day but if you're frazzled right off the bat you're likely going to get frazzled the rest of the day i like that so setting up your morning and just having everything as structured and ready to go as you can so, right. so your evenings are pretty structured then too yeah i mean uh, you you try to set yourself for success and you're trying to set yourself up to uh to get get things um it's a matter of preserving willpower. And I actually read this and I'm trying to remember the name of the book. Uh, you notice I'm constantly quoting books because I read a lot. That's good. But uh, it, it's a, willpower is like a muscle. And the more you use it, the more exhausted it gets. And eventually it gets, it gets stronger. But I'm trying to preserve my willpower to the things that really I really need it. I don't need my willpower to be used to finding, you know, my morning, you know, outfit and all this stuff. And, yeah. you know, but uh, the power of habit, that's the book. Awesome. But um, 
but my willpower, I want to preserve it to, to doing my job, my, my training, my whatever, but all these ancillary things that can easily be addressed ahead of time. I'd rather address them and preserve my willpower for things that really make make a difference. And to your point, I'm I'm reading a book right now called Headstrong by Dave Asprey, and he talks about that. He talks about how your mitochondria are the energy centers or the furnaces for everything we do. Well, a lot of folks are exhausted or fatigued right now because we're getting computer notifications, phone notifications. There's constantly lights. Everything is fighting for our attention because that's where dollars and cents in marketing and advertising come right. from. So our bodies are at an all-time stressful level of trying to fend those things off just so we can focus on common tasks. Mm -hmm. and, and your advice is great because if you are spending time looking for your keys, trying to get a stain out of your shirt, you know, getting gum off of your shoe, all these things in the morning, or for me, trying to get my daughter ready, which is always a, a you know uncontrollable sure. variable, of course. that can really throw a lot of things off. Absolutely. And it can, it can be a chain reaction in a lot of aspects of your day. Um, Another question, who is a mentor of yours and why? Um, you mentioned something earlier that practically answered that question. Everybody that I surround myself with uh, is, is very special in their own way, and they're very good at at least one thing that I admire about them. And for me, each person is a mentor to me with that special trait that they're good at. So it's not one person trying to essentially cover all traits to me. It's several people, each of which are covering the special trait that they, they're, they're really good at. So for example, and I mentioned this person earlier, Aaron Gennetti, he's, he's my personal trainer when it comes to strength and conditioning. And when I walk in the gym, I've never seen that guy ever upset. I mean, he is always happy. I mean, whatever, whatever BS I was dealing with earlier in the day, I forget about because for the next hour, it's going to be nothing but positive amazingness, and um, and 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 for me, I admire him, and he's a mentor for me of how I can be positive. Uh, a friend of mine um, could be um, one of the hardest charging, you know, motivated people, and so I would just take that from them as a motivator, as a as a mentor thing. So whenever I need, I feel a lack of that in my life, which I don't very often. But I would reach out to that person and they're a mentor for me for that trait that they're good at. Awesome. I love that. So in a sense, it doesn't have to just be one or two people that you're, you're pulling inspiration or motivation from your entire community. Um, of all the awards and accolades, what's one that means the most to you? Um, I think so. Last year, I was I was. Um, really honored that um, the Ohio State College of Business gave me the highest award that they could give an executive. So there's 80,000 alumni that uh, graduated from the College of Business, and they pick one executive to receive that award. And quite frankly, um, uh, when, I, when I received that award, and I think um, one of my good friends uh, who's, who's a cohort honors um, lecturer, uh, I think nominated me for that, Ty Shepfer, who I'm always be indebted to. Um, when I received that award, it, was, it couldn't have come at a better time because at that time it was really one of those moments where I needed something to work. You know, you worked really hard and nothing seemed to be to pop in, in a good way. And when I got that phone call, I mean, I, no joke, I cried my eyeballs out just because it came at the best time. And also it was a testament to all those years of, of work and study and uh, things I did. And and looking back at the my tenure at Ohio State, it was 
it was kind of like, um, it, it, I, I was barely able to go to the high state, uh, main campus because when we first came from overseas, it was, I had such a short runway to get acclimated to things so quickly. And, um, so that really played on a self-esteem, but I worked really hard and it was a testament to what can happen if you work really hard and keep your nose to the grind. And so for that, I'm, you know, I'm always a Buckeye. I love Ohio state. Um, and, and the, and the voice it gave me, uh, to be able to give back and pay it forward, which is a Woody Hayes, um, uh, Woody Hayes mentioned that in his, uh, commencement speech he gave. And, you know, to piggyback on that, you know, I know you were selected out of 80,000 plus potential candidates, and past recipients were John D. McConnell, owner of the Blue Jackets, mm-hmm. uh, very successful in his <laughs> world, yeah. and Mr. Schottenstein himself. So yeah. you're you're among great company there. Yeah, I appreciate it. That, that's humble. fantastic. Yeah. Um, Lath, other than that, where, what else uh, are you working on that listeners can uh, support, pay attention to, or, or come find your work at? Sure. Um, one of the things I love to ask is, what are you excited about for 2020? And if you're not excited about something that you know, that might be the first place you'd want to start. For me, you asked me that question. You said, well, what are you excited about? One of the things that I've done this year is put together a group of, of guys that I, I admire and I, um, I enjoy their company. And it's a group of six of us that um, we, uh, we put together our goals and we're going to get together and help each other out and see how we can. So similar to the board concept, but a little bit more concrete and local. I'm really excited about that. Um, so that's that to me is, I mean, you could go through life by yourself, but why? Why wouldn't you want a whole team and an army of people that are best, the best of the best to help you get further and quicker? Yeah, I love it. So uh, to wrap things up, just to recap, uh, Lath, we talked about amazing goals, not just setting regular goals, but really set goals that would blow your mind when you write them on paper, uh, creating a plan for your goals. If you were a stock, would somebody buy you today? If not, what can you do to change about that? And then just surrounding yourself with good people. Think of yourself as having either the right people on the bus, the right players on your team, or having the right board members for your business. And I think that will really help you take whatever you're working on to the next level. You can find Lath at lath.k on Instagram. Yep. And Lath Kalaf, K-H-A-L-A-F. Look him up online and enjoy the presentation. Awesome. It's a pleasure. Thanks again. It's an honor. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lucrative Lessons. We hope you learned something today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes. If we earned your five-star review, please leave one. Helps for visibility. Also, you can check out more at LLPcast.com. All proceeds go to our 501c3 nonprofit, the Make-A-Day Foundation, where you can find more at makeaday.fun. We'll catch you next time.